If you could make your way to Luke chapter 9 here this morning, and uh, I, I want you to turn there because I've, I've got a few things I want to say. I've been looking forward to this for a really long time, to be honest with you. This whole spiritual awakening to preacher concept, because I remember when I was in school, the banter that would happen back and forth at the beginning of those sessions. And uh, I just got to say, um, uh, Josiah and I, Pastor Josiah, Pastor Kagan, whatever you're supposed to call him, all right? He, um, he and I, we started school together. Fall of 2003, we both arrived at the same time. He looked like a preacher, I looked like a beach bum. And um, <laughs> when we arrived, I'm just telling you, not only did we start together, we started in the same dormitory together and in the same room together in the dormitory. I mean, the dormitories were different back then. Uh, this was uh, the Holloways. They had an apartment above their house, and we were both in there together. I don't remember if we were in the same bunk set or not. I don't remember that. Um, but we were in the same room, and man, we have stories we could tell you. Oh, do we have stories. I don't know if the dormitories have gotten more sanctified since my days back then. Um, but I remember, I just got to tell you, I, I don't know how many stories the Lord will let me tell before Pastor Kagan kills me. Um, but um, <laughs> I remember one time, um, it was, it was uh, Pastor Josiah, we didn't call him that back then, um, <laughs> and myself and uh, another two students. Uh, we had one who was like the supervisor. He had his own room, and it was us three that shared the main, the main room there. And um, at one point, we, we just had fun with each other. We decided... Um, the other room, it was his idea, not mine, though I'd love to take credit for it. Um, but we got this idea. We were going to take Pastor Kagan's deodorant stick, okay? And uh, we were going to create a creation on the top of it using cream cheese. So we took his little deodorant stick, you know, we kind of wound it down till it was well below the top, and we got a cream cheese packet, you know, the Philadelphia cream cheese where you unpeel it. We got a knife, and we put it on there, and we shaped it just perfectly on top to look just like a stick of deodorant. And um, the roommate and I, you know, we said nothing. We put it back, we went about our business, and we're just waiting, right? Just waiting for it. And, um, you know, you, you know when he's in there, you know, getting ready for the morning and both of us are kind of outside looking at each other like, when's it going to happen? And you know what? He didn't say anything about it. And we were like, what in the world? Is he just being one of those people that has a prank played on him and doesn't say anything and gives nobody any fun? Or what? We didn't know. We just figured he was just that sanctified, right? That he didn't react or anything like that. Well, Days went on, and after a while, we kind of forgot about it, and it was, must have been around the end of the semester. We hear this, hey, guys, coming from the bathroom, and he says, guys, check this out. I didn't know deodorant grew mold. <laughs> and apparently, this was a backup stick or something that he hadn't used, and over the months that had bypassed, this cream cheese had formed mold on top, and... We told him what had happened, and I don't know, it was a lot of fun. We had a lot of fun back in those days. Got a lot of stories to tell. And, uh, but you know what? I miss those early days of, of BCM. 
<clears throat> I love what God has done with a school, and, and don't get me wrong, I'm not I'm down on today. I feel like we're moving forward in, in many ways. But man, there was something about the early days, the pioneering days. I don't know that either of us really realized that we were in the pioneering days during that time, but there's just something about being a part of an experiment. <laughs> I can tell you how many rules are in the handbook because of guys like us way back in those early days. And you know what? There were things that were done, and I'm sure Pastor would look back and say, you know what, I'm not sure I would do it like that at that time. And I know for sure there are things I look back and I think, I probably shouldn't have done it like that back at that time. But you know what? There's something about the beginning of a work of God that is is special. And uh, you know what, young men, young ladies, God may put you in opportunities of pioneering work. And you know what? You're not going to do it all right. There are going to be some things you look back and you think, you know what? I wish I had done things differently. But man, praise God for a, a young man or a young woman or a ministry that is trying to do something for God. And uh, it's an exciting thing to be a part of, of those early days, to be a part of, uh, of just seeing the Lord work. And so uh, man, much of what you are experiencing today, and I appreciate this 50th anniversary and talking about many of these milestones along the way. You are standing on the shoulders of the blood, sweat, and tears, and prayers, and sacrifices of many who have gone before you, and I hope you remain thankful and appreciative of the history that you're benefiting from. And uh, so anyway, I'm excited uh, about this opportunity to be able to give back. I know I'm around during the fall semester, but I feel like in a special way, uh, this is special to me, to be able to preach to you all and to give back and to contribute uh, to the continuance of what God is doing here. The purpose for me that I've stated uh, to you all on Sunday night is to free you to hear the voice of God and to obey with power confidence and conviction. If you want to know where I'm going, if you want to know what my goal is for you students here during these short days, these many sessions the Lord has given to us, that's my burden. I want you to be free. Not just free to do what you want to do. I want you to be free to hear from God, to hear the voice of God. And I'm burdened that each one of you are free to hear from God and that you will obey what he says with power, listen, without, this was mentioned in the last session, without God's power, you, you may as well hang it up now. It's not going to work. With confidence, listen, God wants you to gain experience at hearing his voice and obeying him and seeing God come through for you. And with conviction, as we've seen here, to be able to step forward knowing God will take care of you. But you know, as we've looked at these last couple of things, many times there are things that stand between us and, and, and that freedom that God wants us to have. There are things that stand between us and being able to hear his voice. I, I talked to you on Sunday night about that matter of unresolved conflict. When you've offended a brother, stop what you're doing and go deal with that. And I have never received more feedback from a message in my entire life as I have from that message on Sunday night. I praise God for some of you that took that seriously and didn't just let it go in one ear and out the other. And I, I praise God for those of you that have actually taken what you heard in a preaching session and have made phone calls and have had conversations. And I do want to uh, revisit that and just say, if God has spoken to you, please don't let that be another area of disobedience of neglect. Take care of those things that God spoke to you about or is speaking to you about. 
Yesterday morning we talked uh, about the matter of hidden sin. And I, I praise the Lord that Pastor Swanson is booked out through 2025 currently. Um, and so get your appointment in as soon as you can. In all seriousness, though, it thrills my heart to know that you are following up uh, the preaching and you're endeavoring to have those conversations and deal with those things. If God's working in your heart, once again, don't be forgetful here, please. Here this morning, I, I want to deal with a matter that I have found in my own life, this is something God has challenged me with regularly. I really do feel that in an environment like this, when, when you look horizontally at your friends and, 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 and your classmates, you see surrender everywhere. And that's a good thing, right? It's a good thing to be in an environment where the students want to obey God. The students around you want to obey him. I tell you, that's something I love about BCM. It's something, man, whenever I talk to somebody about Bible colleges and I say, you know what, there's something special about BCM, though not every student is perfect. They're definitely not. I know y'all, you're not perfect, okay? But there is a community, there is a, an atmosphere of a genuine appetite and desire to do the will of God. But I also know in an environment of surrender, an environment where everybody's got a V-generation sticker on something, where everybody says they want to be surrendered to God, right? There is a temptation to have a veneer of surrender. You know what a veneer is, right? If you've worked in woodworking at all. I, I learned this. I'd never heard the term before in my life. I think I'd heard the metaphor, which we typically use to describe this. But when I worked at Custom Service Hardware during my seminary years, I learned about veneer. Veneer is uh, uh, at times a nice-looking piece of wood, right? In fact, I looked up a definition just to make sure I had it right. I was pretty sure I did. A thin, decorative covering of fine wood to a coarser wood or other material. In other words, this is real wood. It is genuine Wood, and it goes on top of something else to make it look pretty. Um, in, in, a, in my trailer, we've got different kinds of veneer all over the place, right? Trailers typically made out of particle board, the whole thing. I think the studs are made out of particle board in trailers sometimes, okay? And particle board doesn't like water. You get it wet, it instantly turns into like wet toilet paper. Um, that's pretty much what a trailer is, okay? And, um, you know, in a trailer, you do a little project, something like that, and you might look at what looks like an amazing, a real wood cabinet door or something like that, and you drill into it, and you find out really quickly, this ain't real wood. In fact, in a trailer, it's not even real veneer. Sometimes it's like wrapping paper that somebody, you know, somehow wrapped that thing with and you imagine they shrunk it with a hairdryer or something on top of this particle board. And you know when you're working with a trailer and different things like that and sometimes if you're working in woodworking you might think oh man this thing looks like it is solid oak or whatever but when you scratch below the surface of the veneer you realize that that wood covering is only surface level. And you know, one of the things I think in an environment like this, it's real easy. It is so easy to have a veneer of surrender. But when that veneer gets scratched, you realize it's only surface level. See, young people, one of our burdens, I know the staff's burden, and more importantly, God's burden for you is that you not have a surface-level surrender. We don't want you to just have an attractive appearance. 
that covers or disguises someone or something's true nature or feelings. But I know better. Listen, I believe that the top level is real. In other words, I believe that what I see across the board, I'm not accusing anybody here in the room of faking surrender, but what I'm telling you is this, in an environment that at times can be an environment of compliance, it is so easy for our surrender to be no deeper than veneer is on top of particle board. And I'm burdened here today to challenge you. I believe that Baptist churches and Bible colleges are filled with people that have a veneer of surrender that's only a certain level. But here in this passage, we're going to see several times Jesus had people who came to him with a veneer of surrender. Uh, an outward uh, voice that said, I want to follow you. And I believe in all three cases, as we're going to see, they genuinely wanted to follow Jesus. I believe in all three cases, they had an element of true surrender and a desire to follow him. But when Jesus scratched the surface, we found it wasn't very deep. And I want to challenge you here to deepen your surrender so that it's not surface level. Like you look with me in Luke chapter 9, we're going to look at verses 57 and following. Here the scripture says this. The end of the chapter here, it says, And it came to pass that as they went in the way, a certain man said unto him, he's speaking to Jesus, Lord, I will follow thee whithersoever thou goest. Sounds like a BCM student, right? Hey, Jesus, I want to follow you wherever you're going to take me. Hey, hey, Jesus, you want to give me one of those V-Generation pledge cards? Because I want to fill it out. Hey, you got any more stickers left over? I want to put it on the back of my laptop. You got an orange hoodie? I want to wear it. I want to follow you with everything I've got. I want to be surrendered to you. I'm going to go forward in invitation and tell you, I am going to follow you, Jesus. And Jesus begins to have a conversation with him. And by his conversation, we find that this man and the two others that followed him didn't have a surrender that it was as deep as it takes to truly follow Jesus. I believe their intentions were sincere but surface level. One commentator says this, I, Howard Marshall, said those who would follow him wherever he goes must be ready to share the homeless lot of the Son of Man, to place discipleship above the claims of family and duty, and to persevere to the end. This first example here, the man says, I want to follow you, Jesus. And Jesus, it says in verse 58, said unto him, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the son of man hath not where to lay his head. And Jesus is saying, listen, if you're going to follow me, that's fine. That's great. I want to encourage you to follow me. But there's something you need to know in going into this. I'm homeless. I don't have a house. Hey, listen, even the, the animals, they have a place they can call their own. Listen, the birds of the air, they have their nest, but I do not have a place to lay my head. And you know what I find? Jesus here is implying that if you are going to follow me, you have to be willing. You have to be willing to follow him into you can say substandard levels of living. You know what I find? I find that surface surrender follows Jesus if it produces a certain standard of living. If 
Listen, you know what? Here, here you are right now. You're looking ahead at what God is wanting to do in your life, and you want to follow Jesus, and I believe every last one of you are sincere in that. But I want to tell you, heading into the ministry may involve some sacrifices of some things you never thought you would sacrifice. It may involve uh, a standard of living you did not think was going to be. I think many folks who are looking at missions work, they recognize that. It kind of comes with the territory, right? You realize that if I surrender to go and serve God in Africa, I might be living in a dirt-bottomed hut. And I'm so thankful for you mission students because you recognize that is the case and you are willing for that to be the case. I don't know why I'm saying this, but I remember when I was in the dorm at what is now the Brown House. It used to be called the Student Center back in my day because the first floor had a, a foosball table and a couple couches, and that's where we got our mail and stuff. It was a lot of fun back in those days. And uh, I remember while we were there, one of the years that I was there, I remember thinking, man, this place is cold. This building is freezing cold. I wasn't the room leader or the leader at all at that time. And I remember uh, one of my friends uh, who was the room leader, was the guy in charge. I remember looking at the thermostat like, man, this thing doesn't seem to be working. It's got to be a whole lot colder than this. And he told me, he said, oh, yeah, I've known that the heat hasn't worked in here for weeks. I said, what? You mean I've been freezing my toes off for weeks and you knew? Have you asked Mr. Hole to fix it? Mr. Hole's been around for a long time. He said, no. Why not? He said, I don't know. It didn't seem important. And I said to him, I said, you missionary. (laughs) Stop being a missionary. We're not in the mission field yet. We are not in Siberia. It's not too far off, but we are not in Siberia, all right? And you know what? Well, at that time, okay, whatever. It's funny. Whatever. It wasn't that consequential. You know what? God may lead you to go straight into Siberia. We've got a couple podcasts coming up for someone who did serve in Siberia. And I'm really looking forward to hearing some of those episodes. But you know what? If God leads you to go to a place where there is no heater, some of you Southerners would have a hard time with that, right? I see the sweatshirts and the mugs you all have around here. Listen, and I know this sounds silly, But you know, I have literally met some people who said, I would never go up north, it's too cold up there. It's like, seriously, is your surrender that shallow? Yeah, I heard of one uh, uh, pastor and his wife who went up to serve in Maine. I think everybody's out of here that might know what I'm talking about. Maybe not, I don't know. Um, But uh, I remember at one point, no, there should be no connection. Um, Good. Um, this, uh, this couple went up to Maine and uh, what I was told by one of the locals is the pastor's wife constantly complained that there were no big box stores nearby to where she lived. I guess where she lived, there was all kinds of stuff that was available all over the place. And frankly, the Maynards were a little bit ticked off by that. Like, seriously? Like, Maynards are hardy people, right? You know, it snows all year long for them. It snows in the middle of June for them. And uh, that, that's a joke, okay? Um, but uh, actually, Mark Philbrick, uh, he and I are really good friends. And uh, when I take my tour and goes down south to, like, Houston, Texas in January or February, where it's 70, 80 degrees down there, I always make sure to take a selfie picture of myself and put up in the corner the temperature of what it is at that point and send a picture of that to him. We had this little thing going and he'll always send me a picture of like himself buried up to his neck in snow or something like that. And you know, hey, that's fine. That's fine. God calls people all kinds of different things. And um, 
But, uh, you know, that lady was complaining. And honestly, it ended up driving them out of the ministry. Listen, ladies, you have a complaining spirit. You come into ministry expecting to have to have a certain level of lifestyle. Listen, some of you come from some pretty cushy backgrounds. Some of you, you have wanted nothing your entire life. All you had to do was ask your mommy or daddy for something and instantly you got it. And I want you to know you follow Jesus. It may not always be that way. You follow Jesus, you may not be able to have the nice two-story house that you imagine you'll always have. Frankly, you might not even have a uh, particle board built trailer. I remember this is something we really had to grapple with early on in ministry. God had called us to travel on the road in evangelism. And early on, guess what? We had no trailer. In fact, at the very, very beginning, all we had was a 1996 Toyota Camry. And eventually the Lord provided a truck. And that was great, but you can't live in the truck. I mean, you could try, but that wouldn't be fun. And we were in and out of people's homes. And with a kid, with a kid, I remember feeling like I was... Oh, it was so embarrassing. Like we'd, we'd come in and you arrive and, you know, you walk into this person's house and you come in carrying three, four suitcases into this person's house. And then, excuse me, I got to go get some more. You go back out and, you know, here's the pack and play and here's the other baby thing. And you walk in and you're like, you know, hey, yeah, I'll, I'll be there to talk to you in just a second. I got a little bit more. And you know what? When I felt like, seriously, what do these people think we are? And it was so humiliating. I remember when Eva was born here, we had a second one. Eva's right back over there. And it's like, guess what? When you add a child, you would think it would um, not quite double the amount of luggage. It triples it. I don't know how that is, but it triples it. No idea how that works. And I remember, again, it was like six trips now, going in and out of the house. And I felt dehumanized. I felt dehumanized. Are you willing for that if you follow Jesus? Listen, sometimes what can happen is you realize, oh, you know, that's okay. That's fine. That's fine. You know what? If I, if I can't have a certain standard of living following Jesus, then I'll just supplement. I'll just supplement. Listen, the Bible is very clear. The apostle Paul had a tent making job and he did work on the side. And I'm not saying that somebody's wrong for having a side job or for being a uh, bivocational person in the ministry. In fact, I think one of the problems that we have sometimes is young people go into ministry expecting to immediately get a position and a full salary that's going to take everything they've got. Please do not misunderstand me. But here's the thing that I am burdened about. What can happen is young men particularly you can have a desire to follow Jesus, but then what happens is because you want your stuff, because you want to assert, you want to have your cake and eat it too. You want your standard of living and to serve Jesus too. So what you do is you say, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to develop a bunch of other side businesses over here so that I can make what I want to do what I want and follow Jesus. I'm not saying that's wrong if God is in it. But what I'm saying is this sometimes, not all of the time, but sometimes this is an evidence that someone isn't willing to surrender a standard of living to the Lord. Listen, if your side job overtakes your zeal to serve Jesus, which is a real possibility, I've seen it happen a bunch of times. If your side job overtakes your zeal to serve Jesus, it becomes an idol and a competitor to Jesus Christ. 
Listen, I don't know, it got so quiet here, I don't know why. You know, listen, young people, I feel the constant pressure of providing for my family, and you should too. If you don't provide for your loved ones, you are worse than an infidel, the Bible tells us. But there is a fine line, a very fine, almost imperceptible line between Believing God to provide and doing what he wants you to do to take care of your family and just getting out there doing it yourself because you want your toys in your life and your standard of living. One is surrendered to do what it takes to do what God has called you to do. The other is just, I want my way and I want my life. And I'm going to do what it takes to get it. I made a decision long ago, and this is not a decision God's going to leave everyone to. And I want to make that abundantly clear. The Spirit of God has to lead you. No person can tell you which side of this equation that you need to land on. No set of principles can make this a carte blanche uh, decision for you. But God led me a long time ago that I would not moonlight when it came to making money. Because God knows I am not a very good multitasker, (laughs) okay? Listen, don't get me wrong. I do a ton of stuff for my church. I do a ton of stuff for Minutemen, the generation, but that's not all. That's not moonlighting. That's not just making my own money and doing my own thing. That is contributing to the ministry, all right? That is in my mind as much as uh, 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 of my ability to take the talents that God is giving me and using them for the furtherance of his kingdom. And yes, some of that does supplement some of my income and love offerings and so on. And I'm thankful for that opportunity to do that. But here's the thing. As far as God has led me here to this point, I could not, I could not just go out and get another job to help supplement my income so I could have a little bit of extra to play around with. Because God knows that for me, it would be such a distraction. It would take away from my zeal. It would take away from my focus. It would take away from the energy that God has called me to throw completely in to doing what God has called me to do. Now listen, some of you are too proud to do that. By that I mean this. Some of you, you feel entitled to have a certain amount of money given to you if you walk into some position. Again, that's another side of the equation. Listen, I'm not entitled to anything. I survive on what God gives. But, But here's the thing, what I'm trying to say. Listen, you cannot, you cannot let anything distract you from doing what God has called you to do. And oftentimes, the thing that we live for is a standard of living, and it's not Jesus. If Jesus leads you to get a side job, you better get a side job. But if Jesus says don't, you better not. You better not. See, I see it all the time. You get a side job so you can get a house. And now you can't afford to follow Jesus wherever he leads. I'm not preaching against buying a house or getting a side job. But I'm preaching against anything that will temper your surrender to Jesus. Am I making anybody mad? I hope not. Not trying to. Listen, the veneer of surrender sometimes only goes so deep as you can have the standard of living that you want. Listen, I see some folks and I think, man, how do they afford all that stuff that they get? And it's none of my business, you know. But as someone who, you know, is in the ministry, I look around sometimes and I think, I'd sure like to have that. 
Man, I'd sure like to be able to have as nice of that thing. I'm trying not to mention specific things because I don't want anybody to think about you or whatever. You know, I think, man, I'd love to have one of those. Man, I'd love to be there. I'd love to have that kind of a thing. I remember one time, it's so funny how the perspectives are different. I remember one time I was sitting in a staff meeting. I shouldn't say this, but I remember Pastor Schultz, he's sitting back there. I remember he looked at me and uh, he was saying, oh, we got people coming in poor in a driveway, right? And I looked at him. Do you remember this? I looked at him and I said, must be nice to have a driveway. And he looked at me and he said, must be nice to be a celebrity everywhere you go. <laughs> and I'm thinking, what? You do not know what it's like to travel on the road. And he's probably thinking, you do not know what it's like to have a driveway that you have to build. And I, I only bring that up because there, there's no animosity here at all whatsoever. But I'm just saying it's so easy to look at what someone else's standard of living and think, I need that. So easy to look at somebody else who's maybe 25 and they bought a house. Listen, my wife and I, we're looking all around and we're seeing all kinds of other people my age closing on homes. And it's getting to the point now where it's people who are 5, 10, even sometimes 15 years younger than we are who are closing on homes. And sometimes it's like, man, I'd love to close on a home too. But it's more important to follow Jesus. Listen, one day, one day. God has actually promised us one day. And that's okay. But if you hold up that standard and say, I'm not, I, I will serve Jesus if he gives me that kind of car. I will serve Jesus if he lets me buy whatever Apple device I want. I will serve Jesus if he lets me have a knockout wife. Listen, friends. I don't think Jesus is going to lead you to an ugly wife. But listen, you hold up the standard that you need to have in order to follow Jesus. That's surface level surrender. Um, I thought of this verse. This is a very special verse for us as a couple. I think I mentioned it in a testimony service over Thanksgiving in Mark 10. Don't turn there, but in Mark 10, verses 28 and following, it says, Then Peter began to say to him, Lo, we have left all and have followed thee. And Jesus answered and said, Verily I say unto you, there is no man that hath left house or brethren or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my sake and the gospels. But he shall receive a hundredfold now in this time. Now in this time, houses and brethren, sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions. And in the world to come eternal life. Listen, are you living for the standard that's on this side of death? Are you living for the mansion on the other side of death? Dwelling place, whatever it's going to be, right? (laughs) I'm living for the other one. And I know that's easy to say, right? It's easy to say right now while it's all theory. But when you find yourself uh, facing a situation where you either follow Jesus or choose this particular standard of living... That's when the rubber meets the road, kids. Kids, college students, y'all. I remember uh, 2018, my wife and I, we'd been researching houses in the area and we felt like we might be at a place where maybe we could put a down payment, maybe we could afford uh, a mortgage. And I remember there was a house in Milwaukee. It wasn't too far from a war zone. Um, but uh, it was in a range where we could afford, you know, and uh, we worked with a realtor and we put a, a lower offer and kind of our thought was this is low enough that if God is in it, they'll take it. 
And um, I remember it was during, um, it was during the um, Veterans Day banquet. Colonel Willis was preaching over the fellowship halls the very first time we did it. I was in the, now the kindergarten room there at a certain point during that program. I got an email about the house and I walked in and they said, and, and my realtor said, they are not even dignifying that offer with a response. And I remember shortly after that, our old trailer started falling apart. And I remember it was like, not only was the old trailer falling apart, any prospects of getting a house was also falling apart. And I had to make a decision. Are you going to prioritize? Are you going to prioritize putting your roots down here through buying a home? Or are you going to prioritize doing what I told you to do? And I thought, well, there there it is. That settles it right there. I'm doing what God told me to do. If that means I never get a home, that's fine. These verses that I just read, I think God will give us one eventually. But you know what? Whether it's here or if that's taught, well, it says in this time, it's got to be now. I don't know when it's going to be. Um, but even if, even if God just puts it on layaway now in this time and makes my mansion in heaven bigger, that's fine. That's fine. I'll, I'll settle for that. But you know what, young people, do not hold up a standard as being a prerequisite to following Jesus. That is surface level surrender. Surface level surrender. You know, the next example here, verse 59, Jesus spoke to somebody and he said unto another, follow me. Jesus does still speak, by the way. Jesus does, does still say to folks, follow me. It so thrills me to, to hear your stories. One of my favorite times of the whole school year is the very first Sunday night when you students come and you're scared to death because you don't know all these strangers and you get in that line of death to walk up to that microphone, right? And to say why God led you, how God led you to BCM. And I'll be honest with you, as much as I'm all for marketing and making BCM look good out there and fine bro and, and awesome, you know, uh, uh, videos about BCM. To me, that moment is the most important litmus test for the future of Baptist College of Ministry. It's not how many events we go to and we need to get the word out there, but I'm telling you what, when I hear these young people like you stand behind that microphone and say, man, I did not want to come to that janky little school in Wisconsin. But God told me to, and I said, all right, God, I'll do whatever you want me to do. When I hear a majority of students say that, I think, I think we're going to be just fine. By the way, we're not a janky school, okay? Just disclaimers, I have to say, you know? I love this place, and it's so amazing what God has done. But the day that people come because we've got an awesome campus is the day we're done. The, ba the day people start coming because they think, wow, I, 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 I want to be a cool musician like that is the day we're done. The day people come because they want to be like Brother Bosler is the day we're done. Listen, nobody ought to come here because all the cool people come here. And looking at our student body, we're not at risk of that anytime soon. All right? Nobody ought to come here because we got 535 majors. They ought to come here because God told them to come here. They shouldn't come here because a certain famous preacher comes here and they really like his style of preaching. They ought to come because God spoke to them and said, follow me, come here. And God isn't done telling people to come here. And the day everybody stands up and said, the days everybody stands up behind that microphone and says, I came because I love the majors. 
The day everybody comes and stands and says, man, that brochure was so awesome. I just thought I had to come. The day they say, man, I came because the website was just snappy. I hope you think the website's snappy. All right. I hope so. I, I, anyway, um, too much Bobby. Um, but uh, the day that happens, we're toast. We're done. Listen, those of you young people that are involved in going out and promoting the school, keep your heart right. Listen, I don't want somebody to come because they got a free t-shirt. I want them to come because God told them to come. I don't want them to come because we got this super cool display. Yes, we need a super cool display, but I don't want them to come because they're wowed by the display. I want them to come because Jesus said, follow me here. And some of you followed him here and sacrificed much to come. And I'm so thankful you did and what I'm trying to tell you Keep sacrificing much to follow Jesus. He said here, that wasn't in my notes, he said, follow me. But he, this person that he said, follow me to, he said, Lord, suffer me first. Let me first, allow me first. Please permit me first to go and bury my father. (laughs) You know, here, it's interesting, right? Let me go bury my father. The, the commentators are divided on what they think that was talking about. Either option number one, it could be that his father was approaching death and he, need, he needed care in the final days of his life. Or it could be his dad is dead already. And as was the culture in Jewish culture, they, they revolted against leaving anybody out of the grave as long as possible. And there was an urgent need that he needed to be buried right now. In either case, there was expectation upon him for what he was supposed to do, Right? Frankly, you're supposed to take care of your parents. I tell you, that's that's a tough one for me. I'm an only child, right? And I travel on the road and my parents are getting up there, you know, and the thought has definitely come to me, what in the world am I going to do if my parents become infirmed and I need to go and take care of them? I got to honor my parents, right? 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 Again, I mentioned that verse earlier. If someone doesn't take care of his own, he's worse than an infidel. And you know, I think that needs to be what we plan on. I think that needs to be what we do. I think that needs to be the the first answer when we are confronted with a situation like that. Again, once we found the Pharisees, they did everything they could to tie their money up so they didn't have to take care of their parents. And Jesus made it very clear that is not fulfilling the heart of God. That is wrong. If you don't honor your parents, let them die the death. I don't want to die the death. (laughs) And uh, you know, that's what's expected. Most of us, we have this grid of thinking of how things are supposed to work, of how things ought to play out. And right, we are principle-driven people as we ought to be. We have heard that. We need to be unmovable. And yet, ah! the guy said, let me go bury my father. That did not fit in his wheelhouse of how he thought things were supposed to go. Right? Hey, I got this obligation over here. It's a pretty legitimate obligation over here. You can even argue Bible for this obligation over here. So Jesus, can you just give me, give me some time to go and do what my grid in my mind dictates that I'm supposed to do? Oh man, this seems so heartless what Jesus says in reply to that, doesn't it? Verse 60, and Jesus said unto him, let the dead bury their dead. 
my wife and I, we have this thing. If I don't want to go to a funeral, this is terrible. I shouldn't admit this out loud. This is one of those private conversations that a husband and wife can have sometime. It's like, I didn't really know them. And my wife cares about what everybody else thinks so much. And she's like, you have to be there. And I'm like, but I don't really know anybody there. You, so-and-so is going to be there and you have to be there. And I may or may not have on one or more occasions said, didn't Jesus say, let the dead bury their dead? <laughs> Man, that would not fly as a pastor, but I'm an evangelist, so. <laughs> oh, my wife is going to shoot me after this. Um, you know, oftentimes we have this grid, right? This system in mind. And much of it is, is built on and informed by biblical principle and even just the spirit of what we feel we find in the Bible, and that is essential. But can I say this? God will never lead you to do something contrary to the scripture. He will never lead you to disobey his commands. But good night. There are sometimes he will call you to do things that just don't make sense to you. Surface level surrender will demand to understand before it obeys. You know, Surface level surrender follows Jesus if it fits within my grid of thinking. There, there's this way of thinking out there that is principles are all they are to Christian living. And, and this is frankly a dead as a doornail perspective of Christianity. This, this way of thinking says all you got is not only the commands, but the principles and applications we glean from those commands. And uh, as long as you stay within the rails of those commands, you're good. And there is no thought to the leadership of the Holy Spirit of God. No thought of it whatsoever. And these folks, it can happen if God leads them to do something that seems perhaps a little crazy. If God leads them to do something that seems a little bit outside of their comfort zone, they might reply and say, well, you know, uh, it doesn't really fit in the way that I think God ought to work. Don't you put God in a box. Don't you put God in a box. I'm not saying go out and disobey scripture. That is not at all what I'm saying, but I'm telling you, we form these, this, this Talmud Right? This extra list of, of a structure of how everything ought to work, right? And my entire life ought to be informed by this extra biblical structure of how things ought to work. And then Jesus comes and takes a little pin and goes. And surface, surface level surrender will say, I'm out. I'm out. There's a fine line between Bible principles and man's opinion. God will never contradict his principles and his clear teaching and statements in the scripture, but he may challenge your opinions on them. Think about Abraham, right? Abraham, following God, best he knew, and at one point God said, take your son, your only son, and kill him. Right? That didn't even sound right. I mean, not even including the fact that 
Isaac was the son that God had promised through which every blessing and promise God had given to him. That notwithstanding all of that, and he believed that God would raise him from the dead. Is it okay to kill your kid? No. Is it okay to kill your kid? Okay, I'm just hoping that we're all on the same page on that. Didn't know if an undercover leftist got in here, right? Whew. We're going to be okay, Pastor. Um, but God told him something that totally didn't fit in his grid, and yet he obeyed God. Voice of the Spirit. Listen, some of you can go off way out the wrong window on this and get kind of crazy, kooky, weird, and wild. Listen, if you've got a few screws loose, you may want to talk to some people before you start going crazy on some of those things. I have seen errors on both sides of the ditch. And yet, remember the premise, I want to free you to hear God. And if God is subordinate to the way you think things ought to work, you got a problem. <laughs> I love what they said in Narnia. I know some of you hate Narnia. I don't care. Um, <laughs> he's not a tame lion. Right? Speaking of Aslan, the picture of Jesus Christ, he's not a tame lion. You can't put him in a box. You can't subordinate him to your rules and regulations. In fact, it says he's a little wild. There are some times when God leads you, it seems a little wild. It seems like, whoa, that's crazy. I'm, listen, I'm not telling you to go. I've known some people who, again, there's such a delicate balance. I told pastor beforehand, pray for me. I'm threading a needle here today, all right? Continue to pray for me as I preach, all right? But listen, you need to follow Jesus. That's the point. He is more important than the grid of thinking you think things ought to work in. Listen to his voice and you'll be okay. Let him rule your life. I'm going to skip all those quotes. All right. Thirdly and finally here, verse 61. I wasn't sure if I should give them anyway. They'd leave more questions than answers. Verse 61, it says, And another also said, Lord, I will follow thee, but let me first go bid them farewell, which are at home at my house. Jesus spoke again, said, hey, follow me. The voice of God was speaking. And he said, you know, I got something I want to do first. I know the other one seemed like he had clear uh, obligation. This one here, it seems like I just want to go see mommy and daddy again. It's actually interesting, as I was studying this, some folks referenced um, Elijah and Elisha. I guess when Elijah called Elisha to come, he burned his plows and killed his cows, as another preacher has said. But he did say goodbye to his parents. And then he followed Elijah. Well, that's great. And you might look at that and say, hey, Elisha could do it. I should be able to do it too. And, uh, you know, sometimes, <laughs> let me say this, when your family takes priority over the voice of God, you're serving your family and not your God. I'm not talking about providing for your family where you're the father, but I'm telling you, sometimes you can find yourself in a culture where all kinds of people are telling you all kinds of things on the horizontal standpoint, and God is telling you to go. God is telling you to step out of the boat while maybe even people you greatly love and respect surrounding you are telling you something different. And your obligation is to obey God. But listen, I think the point here is that this surface level surrender follows Jesus if, I think this is more core to the point here, if I get to do what I want to do first. 
Our loyalty must be first and foremost to obeying the voice of the Lord immediately without a question. God shouldn't have to wait for you to check off your bucket list before you follow him. Some of you all here in this room, you got your list of what you'll do before you launch out. Whether it's have a certain amount of money in the savings account, right? Whether it's to be offered a certain kind of position, right? Whether it is, oh, come on, admit it, it's the elephant in the room to get a spouse. I'm going to tell you how many people I've seen in a holding pattern until God gives them what they want first. And you know what? What I also find is when people get in that holding pattern and get what they want, that holding pattern is the norm and it's so much harder to actually get out of that holding pattern and follow Jesus. I have people I went to school with I'm thinking of right now. Nothing negative about them. I'm just, I'm telling you. I look at it and I don't know their hearts, but it, it grieves me. You can say, I want, to get a, I want to get a wife first. Then I'll follow Jesus. I want, to, I, want, I want somebody to tell me I'm ready and then I'll follow Jesus. I want the approval of a certain person before I follow Jesus. I want a clear-cut ministry title and position before I follow Jesus. I want it all laid out for me in a five-year plan before I follow Jesus on the next step that he's calling me to take. I want assurance that I'll receive a certain salary and then I'll follow Jesus. I want, and you fill it in the blank. Listen, some of you are saying, I'll serve Jesus once I get my diploma. I got my head down now. But as soon as I got that diploma, then I'll follow Jesus with all I've got. It's a foolish way of thinking. You say, you know what? If I, if I can get my grade up to a certain point, then I'll follow Jesus. Truly, with all my heart. No, that's not how it works. When Jesus speaks, you say, yes, sir. See, surface level surrender, it looks good, right? You can be at the altar in every surrender service, right? You can say the things, you can give the testimonies on Monday. You can give the awesome testimonies in the dorm. You can preach dorm devotions, fellowship chapel with gusto and unction. But when it really gets down to actually following Jesus, you'll follow Jesus if, if. That if is the reason why it's only surface. If you want to get deeper, you've got to take the if out of the equation. So here's what I want to do. I want everyone to please stand here at this time. In just a moment, we're going to have somebody head to the piano. We're going to have an invitation. Here's the thing about this matter. You don't know all the ifs at this point in time. I can't expect you to get rid of every F, if that is coming down the pike. But I can expect you to settle it in your soul now. Jesus, I'm not going to set up a certain standard of living as the criteria by which I judge you. I'm not going to let my grid get in the way of me obeying you. I am not going to have a bucket list of things I have to do first before I follow you, Jesus. I will follow you whether I feel ready or not. In a moment, the piano is going to play. And when it does, I really want to urge you, don't stay in your seat. Don't sit at your seat. I want you to come up and I want you to kneel before the Lord. And I want you to tell Jesus, if it's in your heart, God, the ifs are gone. The ifs are going. I don't want any ifs to keep me from following you. I do not want surface level surrender. As the piano plays, you do business with God.